Hey, welcome back. It's Tuesday night. It's the deep end, and I'm so glad that you're here with me. We got a lot to talk about. There's so many things happening in the world that are crazy and in some ways good. Anyway, we talk about that. We talk about the end of the Donald Trump administration, the beginning of the Joe Biden administration. What should we expect? And we're going to talk about the dark nights of our lives and provide a little pastoral reminder that it's usually darkest right before the dawn. Hey, welcome to your favorite night of the week. It's Tuesday at 7 p.m. This is The Deep End with Tim Hatch. Hello, hello, Tuesday nighters. Welcome in, welcome in once again to the deep end. I am, I'm so thrilled to be with you tonight once again. I I am excited about the content tonight. I'm excited to talk about uh, current events. Uh, You know, last week we had a great time together, didn't we? Uh, Having a conversation, question and answers. Uh, Good news is we're going to do that again. We're going to do that again. So uh, if you're watching at youtube.com slash the deep end TV, make sure that you ask your questions right below me right now. Um, make sure you ask those questions during the podcast. It could be about politics. It could be about uh, the world uh, as we see it right now. It could be about uh, your own life, your own struggles. It could be about the content as we go through the life of David today. Um, I, I just loved bringing this content to you every week. Uh, make sure that you do me a favor. Uh, I'm going to put this on the screen. It is season four, episode 12. Season four, episode 12. Make sure you do me a favor. Do me a solid, will you? Like and subscribe at youtube.com slash TV. Like and subscribe at youtube.com slash the deep end TV until the purge is complete. Okay. So that means three things, right? Three things we always talk about uh, on the deep end. Going to put it up on the screen here for you. Um, click the like button right there. And click the subscribe button right there. Give some, give the beard some love and then click also <laughs> that notification bell. That'll let you know when we are live uh, every time on your smartphone. Uh, but, but I'm, I'm also going to do a little bit of uh, advertising here, and that is I, I got a book coming out, so make sure that you uh, go get it. It's coming out March 2021. Uh, you just got the final proof from the uh, publishing company, and going through that, I can't wait to get that out into your hands. Uh, check it out at uh, timhatchlive.com slash books. It's called Move, Entering into God's Promises for You. Uh, It's based on the theme of life, the unavoidable theme of life, that we can't stay where we are. We either move and we move intentionally with God, or or we struggle to gain traction, or we stay stuck, uh, or we let the world just move around us. Hey, 2021, completely different than we imagined at the beginning of 2020, right? Um, so want to say hello to all of our audiences as well. Uh, that is FM 99.5 in Rhode Island, Spotify, Twitch, uh, radio in Florida, and also um, we are welcoming in our Facebook audience. Uh, check us out at all of our social media pages. Usually it's uh, forward slash the Deep End TV, except for Twitter, it's Deep End TV. But make sure you're following us, liking us, uh, and also... Support the deep end if you would. Um, you can ask questions right there, 508-316-9333. Uh, those are anonymously asked or ask at the deep end.tv. Uh, you can also help support the deep end. Give to the deep end, the deep end.tv slash give. It is a listener supported ministry. And I thank you for those of you who give. Uh, make sure 
you're helping us out, staying active, staying, uh, staying excellent. Am I right? Staying excellent. Anyway, uh, yeah, it is, it is January, January 19th, 2021, and we have a presidential transition happening tomorrow, don't we? The, the quote-unquote peaceful transition of power is about to be upon us. And that brings me to today's news segment. So let's tune in to the Deep End News. Deep End News. The news you choose if you could choose news. Yeah, the Deep End News uh, today, guys. We're going to go through this, uh, this, this sudden appearance of great news. <laughs> great news. Sorry about that font, by the way. That's a horrible font for the news. There are... So many things happening in a positive light. I'm shocked. I'm, I don't know if you're seeing what I'm seeing, but Newsweek, for instance, reported that COVID lockdowns have no clear benefit uh, versus other voluntary measures. Huh. That was five days ago, Newsweek. So after a year of telling us that this is what we had to do and that states that weren't locking down were part of the problem and you know, Florida sucks and California's awesome, even though California's death rate is rising and Florida's is falling. <laughs> uh, interesting, but hey, good news, right? Newsweek, thank you so much. Lockdowns have no clear benefit. Yay, Newsweek. <laughs> Governor Andrew Cuomo, the Democratic New York mayor, says that his state cannot stay closed until the vaccine hits critical mass. This is from AOL.com and other sources. The cost is too high. We will have nothing left to open. We must reopen the economy, said Andrew Cuomo two months after Donald Trump. Anyway, we must do it smartly and safely. Gosh, where have I heard those words before? (laughs) Uh, Good news. We've got to reopen. Oh, Chicago is also pushing to reopen their bars and restaurants. As quick as possible. This is the Democratic Mayor Lori Lightfoot of Chicago. She says they need to open as quickly as possible because people need an outlet. Hmm. They need an outlet for entertainment. This is her words. They need an outlet for entertainment. <laughs> okay. Uh, some of us were saying that in June. But you are welcome to your belated facts. Um, what's with all the sudden shift in certain people's opinions? What is with all this sudden awakening to a new day in which COVID is not the threat we all commanded it to be? Well, not we all, not me, but you know who. For how many months? <laughs> I want my 2020 back. Um, my, my assistant sent me this. I want you to see this. This is so funny. She got this text from MassLive.com, the COVID alert system. This is the text that she got this morning. Okay. January 19th, 2021 quote. We hope you have enjoyed these messages. We've enjoyed engaging with you effective January 28th. Free coronavirus in Massachusetts text messages will end. Click here to learn why we are making the changes. And they go on and on about how costly it is to send text. Hmm. 
I thought that there was the new strain coming in to the world. I thought that the UK was shutting down. I thought that we had so much more to fear. I thought, I thought fear was the answer to COVID. That's what I was told for nine months. I was told, and you were too. We have lots to fear, including fear itself. Great leaders always tell us to be afraid. <laughs> yeah. So, so she gets this text about how the text messaging for COVID uh, awareness and alertness is ending a day after she gets this text. A day after. This is yesterday. You can see it on the screen, 5.26 p.m. Quote, Massachusetts health officials announced 3,224 new COVID cases and 52 new deaths. As the number of active cases statewide reached 98,750, uh, there are 2,206 patients being treated in hospitals for the virus with 427 in ICU, according to Monday's stats. The newest stats come after Sunday's announcement that a COVID variant first discovered in the UK has been detected in a mass resident. So we've got this new strain of COVID in a Massachusetts resident. Yesterday, Ye yesterday, a new strain. Today, no more text alerts. <laughs> We've enjoyed telling you all about how horrible, how horrible COVID is. And since there's a new strain that is unleashed in the UK and now in Massachusetts, we want to let you know that we're not going to let you know any more details about COVID-19. Gee, the the, the great news, the great news that things are looking up. Wow, amazing. Who would have thought on January 19th, 2021, January 19th, Christmas Eve for half of our country. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I have to go there. I have to do this. I have to, I'm sorry. Do you know what, you know what 20, uh, January 20th is, right? You know what tomorrow is? We get a president transition, presidential transition, as Joe Biden peacefully takes the reins of our country, surrounded by 25,000 armed military members. You know where they uh, also transition to power with um, thousands of military troops surrounding them? Yeah, uh, dictatorial regimes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got to go. I got to do it. I got to do it. And, and I know that some people, you don't like when I get political, but po politics does have a lot to do with what we are as a people, and it's getting crazy. I mean, I have, look, man, you guys know me here on the deep end. You know that I'm a, I'm a right-wing nut job in my personal life. I don't bring it into the pulpit of my church. I don't because I'm there to preach the gospel. But this is the deep end. This is where we can kind of let our hair down, relax, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk freely about some things. I got left-wing loony friends. And I mean dear friends, Christian friends. I mean, even they can see. They and and they're not changing their views, but they can totally see. The the news media is completely on the side of the Democrats and uh, you know, uh, the left wingers is clearly there. Uh this this brings me, however, to the deep end historical news lesson of the day. This is a new segment in the deep end. The deep end's history lesson of the day. Here it is. Very short lesson. When the journalists side with one political party, you have yourself a regime, not a republic. There you go. That's, that's the <laughs> history lesson of the day for the deep end. When the journalists of a country or nation side with one political party, you have yourself a regime, 
not a republic. Guess what I heard out of CNN? They're going to take their combative correspondent there, Jim Acosta. They're going to take him out of the press pool of the White House. They're going to put in someone softer tomorrow. Gee, good news all around, right? I mean, I love the fact that the news media goes after the right-wingers. I think that's great. Expose all their lies, all their deception, expose all their fraudulent claims. But can you do that for the other side too? Can you do that for the other side? Can you be fair? Can you can you also go after the corruption, I don't know, on the other side of the aisle that you, that you side with? I mean, obviously, we never really like to point out our own flaws. We always like to point out the flaws of those that we disagree with. Anyway, uh, the news is... Um, uh, just crazy. The world is crazy, friends. We we, we got to talk about this on the deep end because it matters. News matters, and you know things like this are important. And and you're not going to hear things like this anywhere else. And that's why I bring it to you here. Uh, by the way, I don't I don't know if you saw this. This from the realm of uh, I call this Romans one verse twenty one territory. Romans one verse twenty one says, "In their thinking, they became fools." Uh, So more foolishness from the educated elites of our country. This is from the New England Journal of Medicine. Now I have, uh, you know, vested interest in this because I'm from New England. Obviously, I am, you know, a longtime New Englander. And and, and from the New England Journal of Medicine, they had decided, they had determined that they need to eliminate sex designations from birth certificates. No more male-female on birth certificates. So... (laughs) Here's the article from the New England Journal of Medicine. Quote, we believe that it is now time to update the practice of designating sex and birth certificates, given the particularly harmful effects such designations have on intersex and transgender people. Quote, uh, the article goes on, designating sex as male or female on birth certificates suggests that sex is simple and binary when biologically, <laughs> it is not. Biologically, I have news for you, New England Journal of Medicine, it is very simple. Biologically, sex is very simple. Except for the very, 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 very rare instances where there is a biological problem there. And we, you know, do I know what I'm, do you know what I'm talking about? Do I have to say it? You know what I'm talking about. But pretty much you can tell what a baby is by looking biologically. Oh, in their thinking, they became fools. The attack on gender. What is the deal with the attack on the binary of gender? It is an attack on God's word from the beginning. In the beginning, God created the male and female. This is the devil's work. He has been undermining God's word from the beginning. And our intellectual country, our intellectual scientists are helping him attack God's word. Yes, there are people who are confused and dysphoric. Yes, there is a mental condition where you don't feel like you are the gender of your biological sex. I get that. We should pray for these people. Love them if you're your na- they're your neighbors. Don't hate them. But come on. This is nonsense that we're going to now start eliminating gender from birth certificates. I mean, it was only three doctors from the New England Medical, uh, New England Journal of Medicine. But it's still alarming that this is the trend that we are going to. Thank, thank God we got Biden coming in, right, who's going to push this, this football further down the field. <laughs> before, before you know it, we're all just going to be a bunch of it's. We're going to be a bunch of it's with zits. That's all we're going to be. I mean, this is where we're going as a country. Well, uh, oh, and, you know, to, to, co- to coincide with the elimination of gender from the New England Journal of Medicine, a brave 23-year-old forensic psychology graduate named Indy Melling has created a new deck of playing cards. 
she realized that the patriarchy was involved. The patriarchy, the evils of the patriarchy, that men are dominant over women. She realized that the patriarchy was involved in playing cards, and so she came up with a new kind of playing card deck. She replaced kings, queens, and jacks with gold, silver, and bronze cards. Indy Malink, a 23-year-old forensic psychology graduate. How much did she pay for that degree? I wonder. (laughs) How much did she pay or did her government pay? Because she's from the Netherlands, so they probably paid for her to get that degree. The taxpayers probably paid for her to get the degree to tell them to stop playing playing cards with kings, queens, and jacks. Why? Because the patriarchy. Because kings, men cannot be more valuable than women. And the playing cards are a, a, a source of great evil in the world. Well, I actually, as a Christian preacher... You used to think that gambling is a sin and don't spend your money at the casinos, pour it into the kingdom of God. I still believe that. <laughs> but listen, this is where our this is where our world is going. This is this is the attack on God's word. The very first thing that he does is he makes the male and female. They are both representative of his glory, of who he is. You see, male and female are this are a binary designation established by God to represent his image on the earth. You don't get a full representation of God on the earth with only men. You don't get a full representation of God on the earth with only women. You get a full representation of God's image on the earth with male and female. It goes together. Hey, let me know in the comments below what you think about all this and if you have questions about this, because this is getting nutty. It's really getting nutty. The world is not our home. We're going to talk about that today uh, on this episode of the deep end. But again, I want to just invite you to do this for me. Please do it. I say this all the time. If you're not watching at youtube.com slash the deep end TV, you should be youtube.com slash the deep end TV. Please subscribe to the channel. Throw me a like. Let me know in the comments that you were here, where you're watching from, all that stuff. Hey, that's the news. That's the darkness of our world. But I got great news for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. And that brings me to our study getting back into it on the life of David. Let's head in. All right, so we're in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 27, if you've been following along. And again, I'm going to do some live question and answers at the end of this content. Live question and answers at the end of this content. Make sure you put them in the comments below. 1 Samuel chapter 27 through 29. Three chapters today. Pray for me that I can get through this, right? Uh, I call this episode The Darkness Before the Dawn. Yeah, The Darkness Before the Dawn. And why do I call it The Darkness Before the Dawn? Because uh, here's where David is. David is on the precipice of the end of Saul's kingdom. You know, for many of these episodes, we've been talking about David running and hiding from Saul, Saul chasing David down, Saul being willing to kill anybody who turns uh, toward David, even including his own son. You know, Saul represents the kingdom of this world. Saul represents, in many respects, the political kingdom of this world, the, the, the powers that be. And you have to remember, we've been talking about this regularly on this, on this season of the Deep End, that we're, we're doing the study because we have to remember that under the auspices of the political powers that be that seem to have all the control, all the news media, all the leaders, all the, all the sway, And whether that's Republican or Democrat, by the way, you know, and I said last week, let me just make a little qualifying statement here. I said last week that, you know, evangelical Christians have have been um, have had their Trump idol smashed 
through this election season. And and I think it was a good thing because we can't be looking to Trump or any or any political leader to be our savior. It's that that we we've already got a savior. He died and rose again 2000 years ago. Okay. But anyway, the, the 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 Republican or Democratic you know establishment of political leadership in this country or wherever you are in the world under your political establishment might seem like they're in charge, but there is a kingdom that God has raised up through His servant David or the son of David Jesus Christ, and so we are members of David's quote unquote kingdom, Jesus's kingdom, and yet it looks like the political powers are in charge. And sometimes, when that is the case, it's going to be dark. The darkness is going to be heavy before the dawn. And we're going to see that David's life gets dark before the dawn here in 1 Samuel chapter 27. And it gets dark because of his own stupid decisions. His own stupid decisions. The fact he's going to revisit an old decision that he made earlier in 1 Samuel. And it's going to go poorly. It's going to look terrible. And we got to remember that David is human. He's just like you. He's just like me. We've already seen his human side, right? He ran off to join the Philistines before. He's going to do that again in 1 Samuel 27. But he already ran off to join the Philistines because he was afraid of Saul. Remember, he acted like a madman, scratched the walls, had you know spit coming down his beard. Remember that he um, was ready to slaughter Nabal's family? Remember that moment? He's ready to slaughter everybody in his house because he was offended by what Nabal said. Remember that time he cut off Saul's robe and you can say, well, he also repented. But yeah, but he was also very deeply grieved by it. Remember that he also has multiple wives. Okay, so that's not actually a biblical mandate for taking multiple spouses. Uh, David is human. David is just like you and me. So as much as he points us to our Savior, Jesus, he also points us to ourselves so that we learn from his mistakes, as Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10, that these things are written down as examples for us that we would not be like them. So he is a picture of Jesus, but he's also a human like us, and he shows us some things that we should not do. Here's the truth today that we're going to learn. Here's the truth. Are you ready? I'm I'm excited about this truth. You should be too. When you think there is no way out, no way up, and no way through, God is still working out his purposes for you. When you think there is no way out, up, or through, God is still working working out his purposes for you. And so with that in mind, let's head into the text, shall we? With that in mind, let's head into the text. 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape, I shall escape out of his hand. Okay, I'm very sorry about the, the font today <laughs> on the screen, but just stay with me anyway. All right. David says, I am going to die at the hand of Saul. I'm going to die at the hand of Saul. And so he thinks to himself, let me go back into the Philistine country and let me hide there. Now, this move by David is questionable, but understandable. Let me deal with understandable first. It's understandable because Saul will not give up the hunt. And we've seen that. No matter how much Saul repents verbally, he still wants to kill David internally. But it is also questionable. The Philistines were Israel's sworn enemy. The Philistines were where Goliath came from. Uh, the Philistines, actually, the, the next passage, the next verse is going to tell us that he was in Gath of the Philistine nation, which is where Goliath was from. And it's also questionable because this is David 
having this conversation in his heart saying, one day I'm going to die by the hand of Saul. Saul's going to kill me. Saul, Saul, this, is, this is David, the man who said confidently in Psalm 54, verse 4, God is my helper, the Lord is the upholder of my life, he will return the evil of my enemies. Uh, this is David who in 1 Samuel chapter 26, 24 said that the Lord will deliver me out of all tribulation. This is the Dan David that believed God was still in charge no matter how dark it looked for him. And now he's convinced that, that, that he's on the verge of death at the hand of Saul, and he's going to go and run into the Philistine nation. This is, you look at this text and you say, I, I don't understand how David can have this moment where he's really full of faith one day, and then he's not full of faith at all another day. Do you know why? Because he's you. Because he's us. Because he's me and you. You ever have a great faith day followed by a terrible doubt day? Welcome to the club. Thank God that the Jewish writers were honest about their heroes and told it like it is. I mean, thank God. Am I not? Am I not? Is anyone else with me on this? They could have, they could have glossed over David's bad moments, but they don't. They put them on display so that we can relate to these, these heroes of the faith who had hangups just like us. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher from the uh, 1800s in, in London, probably the pastor of the largest church in the century, the 1800s. He once tells the story where he was just completely doubtful of God's promises for him, and he was just moaning and groaning and completely, you know, lacking faith. And one of his members actually was hearing him talk about this, and members of his church, and, he and the member of the church took out a piece of paper and started to read for Charles Spurgeon some words of edifying faith and belief, and, and Charles Spurgeon realized like about five minutes into the reading that the guy was actually reading Charles Spurgeon's own sermon notes from a sermon he preached on faith a while back. And he was saying, I can't believe it. I was preaching to myself through my friend uh, the very words that I had said earlier, but now I was doubting myself. This is the human condition. We will have good days. We will have bad days. And sometimes our bad days will get us into a heap of trouble. And, and we've got to press on through those bad days. They're going to be a reality. Your, your doubting days are going to be a reality. But, but God's going to do something through David here that is hopeful for us. He's going to lead David through the dark days and use David's dark days to bring David back to where he wants him. Okay? When there's no visible way out, up, or through, God is still going to work out his purpose for you. Okay, so, so let's continue in the text. Uh, verse 2, So David arose and went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maach, king of Gath. He's going to Gath. He's going to Gath. That's Goliath's hometown. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. widow sorry. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer saw him, sought him. So it seems to work. It seems to be doing its intended job. He's hiding out with the Philistines, and Saul says, okay, I give up. Well, let's turn the page. Then David said to Achish, if I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given to me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day, Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days of David that, that David lived in the country of the Philistine was a year and four months. He's there 16 months. Can you, can you, can you just see this 16-month period of David living among Israel's enemies in the 
region of Goliath's place of birth or origin. And, 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 and he's just kind of like siding with them. Notice too that he says, let me have a place in the country. I think he asks for the place in the country because he knows he shouldn't be there and he doesn't want to be too close to Achish. Anyway, let's continue. Verse eight. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. For these were the inhabitants of the land from of old as far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, the garments, and come back to Achish. Okay. So David does something very interesting here in this passage. He, he, actually, uses, he actually uses the, um, the time that he is living under the auspices of Achish, the king of Gath, in Philistine country, to attack Israel's enemies. And he would take their spoil, and then he would come back to Achish. And then notice what it says in the next text. This is hilarious. So, when Achish asked, verse 10, when Achish asked, where have you made your raid today? David would say, against the Nagab of Judah, or against the Nagab of the uh, Jeremielites, uh, or against the Nagab of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man or woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell us, tell about us and say, David has done this, or so David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. So David lies. David literally just blurts out lies to Achish repeatedly whenever Achish asks what he had been doing that day. And this was his custom. He's living among Israel's enemies, and he's lying. You know, Charles Spurgeon says about this text, the devil's hounds always hunt in couples. <laughs> I love that line. The devil's hounds always hunt in couples. In other words, you start with one bad decision, it leads to another bad decision. You start with one nice, like comfortable sin in your life, it leads to another one. You know, oh, what a tangled web we weave when at first we start to deceive, right? One thing leads to another. David's making some bad choices here. He's not living right, and he knows it. Okay, and then uh, uh, chapter 27 of 1 Samuel ends real quick. Here's what it says in Achish, verse 12. Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people, Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. In those days, the Philistines, this is verse 1 of chapter 28. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, understand that you and your men are going, are to go out with me in the army. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. The, who are they fighting? They're fighting Israel. Who, where's David from? David's from Israel. <laughs> and Achish is like, okay, guess what? You're going to go out with me. And you, you and your men are going to fight your own people. And David said to Achish, no, I shall never do that. <laughs> no, he's you and me, guys. He's just like us. He says, very well, then you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. This is crazy. This is David. The, the, the hero of Israel is now about to join the armies of Philistines the Philistia, the Philistines, to fight Israel. Whoa. Now, uh, the, the narrative of 1 Samuel, as it moves into chapter 28, is going to divert. You ever watch a television show where it has like multiple storylines moving in uh, sequence with each other and you don't realize why it's going back and forth until those storylines come together? I'm watching, my wife and I are watching Yellowstone right now. They do this all the time. But anyway... Uh, this is where they get it. 
the Jews are big in Hollywood because they're great storytellers because they have the Bible. They, they came up, the Lord inspired them to write the Bible, right? I mean, this is their stuff. So anyway, we see this, this narrative shift from David hiding out in the Philistines back to Saul, and it's a little bit ahead of time. It's actually a year and four months ahead of t- after the events of 1 Samuel 27. So we're going to shift now to another, a parallel storyline with Saul, who goes and vis- visits a witch and uh, ha- asks this witch to perform the seance and speak to Samuel for him. And you say, well, why is this, why is this in the text? Why, I thought this was about David. Why, why is this about Saul all of a sudden? And there's a reason for it. We're going to get to it, and it's going to be a great point. So just, just bear with me as we get through this. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this moment, but we're going to talk about it. Verse 3, Samuel had died, and all Israel mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. That's to make us remind us, remind us this is already mentioned in 1 Samuel, but it's now to remind us that he's, he's dead. And remember, he was the one that put Saul in, in place of the kingdom, in charge of the kingdom. And Saul had put the mediums and necromancers out of the land. So these are people who uh, seek the wisdom of the dead and necromancers, you know, these are the people who are, you know, they do these spiritual, sexual worship of the dead, you know, weirdos. (laughs) Uh, He put them out of the land. And the Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel and they camped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and he was greatly troubled. He was greatly troubled, or he trembled greatly. Well, of course he does. Do you know why? Because he thinks David, okay, David, sorry, David and the Philistines are teaming up against him. And those are two people that Saul cannot defeat. Remember that, okay? So so he's got reason to be greatly troubled. And and it, the, the text tells us that he put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. Well, why did he do that? Because Scripture says that that shouldn't have happened. And you got to remember that there were some good years in Saul's kingdom. Leviticus 19.31 says, Don't turn to mediums or necromancers. Don't seek them out and make yourselves unclean by them. Deuteronomy 18.10, There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or sorcerer or charmer or medium or necromancer. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. So Saul you got to remember, he was a good king for some season there, and he drove these people, these evil witchcraft practicers, out of the land. But he's hearing about the Philistines coming to attack him with David in tow. And he freaks out, and he turns to these people. Verse 6, And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or the prophets. So the Urim were those two uh, tablets, many people considered them dice that were in the high priest's pockets of his vestments, and uh, the prophets weren't speaking today uh, to Saul clearly, and the Lord did not answer him in prayer. Why? Because Saul has gone beyond the ability for God to speak to him. He won't listen. He hardened his heart to God. He kept chasing his own ambitions, and God handed him over to these ambitions, and God basically shut himself off from Saul. And this is a warning for people who continue to harden themselves toward God. This is a warning in the scriptures. The Proverbs says, He, being often reproved and hardens, hardens his heart or stiffens his neck, will be suddenly cut off and that without mercy. There comes a point of no return in the spiritual life of the non-believer or the non-Christian or the rebellious person. It's just a fact. 
And so he's not hearing from the Lord, so he turns to his servants and he says, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium that may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there's a medium in Endor. Now, this is interesting how quickly they know where the medium is, isn't it? They're just, Oh, yeah, we know where that, <laughs> we know we can find one of those. Says a lot about Saul's, le- uh, you know, commanders or servants. Who did he surround himself with? And then they say he's in Endor. Well, look what it says next in verse 8. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and his two men with him. And they came to a woman by night and said, Divine for me a spirit and bring up for me whomever, whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know that Saul, what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? Okay, now the scripture is giving us some reminders here. Saul is the one who said no more mediums and necromancers. And now when he's desperate, he doesn't have God speaking to him and he's become the product of his own rebellion, he's going to rebel against his own self. You see some some problems with the human condition here that need to be talked about. Okay, first off, let's back up a little bit. Verse 8, he has to disguise himself. Well, why? Because Endor is north of um, Philistia. So he's got to go through Philistia, the Philistine country, to get to Endor. So he, this great mighty king, is putting a costume on to get through his enemy's territory to get to a medium who he cast out of his territory in the first place. And the picture here is of the rebellious, the, the God-hater, the, 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 the unbeliever who rejects God, who makes these, uh, these standards for himself, figures out that everything he thinks is right is actually not working, and then breaks his own standards to fix it. The, the heart condition of the, of the human, we become prisoners of our own devices. We become prisoners of our own rebellion. We end up, here, here's how I want to say it. When we rebel against God, we eventually rebel against ourselves. We do. When we rebel against God, we end up rebelling against ourselves, destroying ourselves, hurting ourselves. This is a fact of the human condition. And this is what happens in Saul's life. Okay, let's continue on in the text. Uh, Verse 10, it says this, But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Okay, so this is an interesting moment, isn't it? Uh, she says, who do you want me to bring up? He says, bring up Saul. And uh, and he promises, no evil shall befall you. When she sees Saul, uh, Samuel, sorry. When she sees Samuel, he says, bring up Samuel. When she sees Samuel, suddenly she realizes, and I don't know why, but she suddenly realizes that this is Saul. And the story goes on. And the king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Okay. So notice that the divination works for a second. Because some of you are probably going to ask this question. Does this stuff work? Like, are there such, is there such a thing as divination? Yes, there is. It happened in the Bible. It happened elsewhere. Remember the magicians of Pharaoh's court also um, imitated the miracles of God. Remember um, that uh, Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. Remember the, uh, the, the girl that is possessed by the demon spirit in Acts chapter 16, whom Paul delivers, and she has no more ability to foretell the future. These things are real. These things are, these things are not fake. Well, they are many times faked. 
for the sake of money and financial gain. But there is such a thing as the dark world. You've got to be careful, Christian. This is why I tell Christians, please, 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 don't go see tarot card readers. Don't go see fortune tellers. Don't go see, uh, read your horoscope. All this nonsense. These are the mystical dark powers of this present evil age. And the devil loves to imitate spiritual guidance that God alone can give you. You've got to be careful. Don't mess with this. Don't don't do the Ouija board thing. Don't do these dark arts. It's, here, here, let me tell you too why. Because we are people of the life. We are people of the living. All right? The living do not seek the advice of the dead. The living Christians are alive in Christ. And we are not called to seek the advice of the spiritually dead or the physically dead. Anyway... Going on in the story, verse 15, Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. Not, nothing good from Samuel happens here. Samuel said, Then why do you ask me, since the Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke, to, spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Remember that Saul uh, t uh, pulled the robe and tore it off of Samuel. And Samuel says, that's what the Lord's going to do with your kingdom. Well, here he is just reinforcing what he said. And verse 18, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you today. Moreover, verse 19, the Lord will give Israel uh, also with you into the hand of the Philistines and tomorrow you and your son shall be with me. Now, just for a second, if you would, can you just look at that? You and your son shall be with me tomorrow uh that's interesting because the question might come up here is saul therefore in heaven in a better place with samuel um i think so and you say well that sounds you know counter to all that we've heard of saul up to this point well remember saul's purposes on the earth had been abdicated and forsaken and he forsook god in his purposes but that doesn't mean the grace of god was not able to save him in his death and i again you know, there was a week. There was a question last week about Ravi Zacharias being saved or not because of the, the revelations of his sexual improprieties, and I I hesitate to t to say yes or no because I I think that the mercy of God is far greater than we imagine. I think it's greater than all of our sin, all of our sin. And you say, well, sexual sin is bad. It is bad. It's a sin against your own body, and it is a different compartment of sin. But it's not beyond the grace of God. And even Saul and all of his failures, it's a good chance that God said. Yep, but he was my chosen instrument for such a time as this, and I'm going to bring him to be with me, even though his purposes on the earth failed. And I think that you have to be careful of talking about Old Testament saints and their eternal future with the same measure that we do in the New Covenant. The New Covenant is salvation by grace through faith. God and the Old Covenant saints, he, he makes that judgment. That's not our judgment. But there is a good there's good evidence from this idea that he's going to be with Saul in the afterlife, that he probably is in heaven. I'm just taking it at face value here anyway, uh, on the text. So anyway, let's continue. The Lord, the Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once um, uh, full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul and said, 
when, he, when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat that you may have strength and go your way. And he refused, verse 23. He said, I will not eat. But his servants together with the woman urged him and he listened to their words. So he rose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house and she quickly fi- killed it. And she took the flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants. They ate. Then they rose and went away that night. Okay. I I wanted to get through that moment quickly because remember, it's the life of David, not the life of Saul. But but, but we're seeing the the, the devolution, the devolution, the the de-evolution of Saul's faith and confidence and courage. This is a man who did mightily deliver the Israelites from the Philistines uh, on occasion, from the Amalekites, from Israel's enemies. This was a king who enjoyed a great measure of success, and then turned, became self-absorbed, became completely insecure. We've been through this content this season on the, on the deep end. You, you know this, right? And we see him just devolve spiritually. And the reason why, he's, he's completely, de- he's so devastated by the end of 1 Samuel 28 that he doesn't even want to eat. And here's why this story is here. David is hitting rock bottom himself, thinking that the the kingdom, thinking, remember, 1 Samuel 27, verse 1, thinking that Saul is going to kill him at any moment, that he's going to perish, that God's promise of him being king is annulled, that there's no hope for him, that the darkness is surrounding him and it is over, and this This was the David who had full confidence in the Lord, has lost that confidence, and for 16 months lives among his enemies, hiding out because he can't see through the darkness of his present moment. And you and I, the reader, are given this moment of Saul's devolution. Am I saying that right? I don't even know. This de-evolution of Saul's faith. Deterioration, let me put it that way. This deterioration of Saul's faith so that we can see something that David couldn't see. So that we can see that God is going to do something for his saints, even when everything in their heart says nothing's going to happen for his saints. Did I say that clearly? The darkness is darkest right before the dawn, right? I think somebody said that, and then they started to sing, sing Shake It Off. <laughs> Great song. Okay. We we have to remember this as people of faith. There's going to be moments where you're going to feel overwhelmed by the world, by your own life, by faith, by 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 what you see going on in in the political realm, in your country, in your job, in your marriage, in your family. And I'm here to tell you today that you've got to realize that God has a 30,000 foot view of your life. And, and he's doing things that you can't see, just like he's doing things in Saul's life, turning Saul over to his fears, turning Saul over to his eventual ruin. This man who wanted to kill David is being systematically Uh, stripped of all of his confidence because he's attacking the Lord's anointed, David. And God is doing this because because David is in the hand of God and he will not suffer and and God will not let him go. 
And God will accomplish his purposes in David's life. Even when David himself makes decisions that are counter to God's purpose in his life. You know what you need to ask God for sometimes? You need to ask God for a 30,000-foot view of your life. You really do. You really do. Because it's not over, Christian. If you're in, if you're in Christ, it's not over. No matter how dark it looks, God is doing things you can't see to accomplish his purposes for you. Let's go on. Verse 1 of First uh, Samuel 29. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by the hundreds and by the thousands, and David and his men were passing on, uh, were passing on in the rear with Achish. Remember, okay, this is near the end of First Samuel, and it's drawing to a close. And it looks like David is going to fight with the is with the Philistines against Israel. That's there's this great suspense. You see how. The Jewish people still have such great storytelling capabilities because of the ways that God inspired them to tell these stories. There's great suspense here. Is David going to fight his own people? Is David going to attack the Israelites and fight for the Philistines? Well, let's take a look. Verse 3. The commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years, and since he has deserted me to found... And since, and since he deserted to me, I found no fault in him to this day. Like, no fault. Like, he's good. He's, and, and Achish is vouching for David. Verse 4, But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go out with us to, uh, to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is this not David, of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck his... Thousands and David, his tens of thousands. And, and, and you see this uh, play out here that they think David's going to gain favor with Saul by turning them over to Saul in the heat of battle. Okay, well, verse 6. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest. And to me it seems right that you should march out with me and fight in the campaign, for I found nothing wrong with you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you, so go back now and go peacefully that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And verse 8, and David said to Achish, but what have I done? What have I found in, what, what have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I have to go back, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the king? I mean, David honestly wanted to fight. This is so crazy. It, it, it's, it's completely nuts. And, and, and listen to what's happening here. David's being driven out of the land of the Philistines by the Philistines. God's doing this. God is not going to allow David to fight against the Israelites. David is, God is not going to allow David to become a victim of his own stupidity, his own foolish uh, choice that he made because of fear and insecurity. It's, it's really something. The Lord preserves his own. The Lord preserves his own. You think about Peter, who is going to betray the Lord. What does the Lord say? You're uh, Not betray. You're going to deny. You're go- He's going to deny the Lord. And the Lord says, but don't worry, Peter. I've prayed for you. You're going to deny me three times, but I've prayed for you, and you're going to be restored, and you're going to, and you're going to strengthen your brothers. And then Peter goes out and does it. And the Lord brings him back. Remember, the resurrection morning, Jesus is fixing them breakfast on the shores of Galilee, of the Sea of Galilee, while they're fishing to say, look, I'm restoring you back. The Lord pulls his servants out of the fire, even of their own foolishness. Jonah tries to run from God, and God says, 
Nope. Storm. Sea. Uh, sea. Storm. Fish. Vomit. <laughs> I'm not letting you go. If you're, if you're a true saint of the Lord, he's not going to let you go. The prodigal son ran. He never stopped being the son of the father. Never stopped. When he comes back, the father restores full sonship. Ring on his finger. Robe on his back. Sandals on his feet. Fattened calf slaughtered. I mean, it's just amazing the grace of the Lord God in David's life. And for all who are in Jesus Christ, the true son of David, the same is true for you. God will not give up on you. God will not even let you be the victim of your own stupidity. Okay, we've got to continue. And Achish answered to David, he said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines said, he shall not go up with us to battle. Now then rise early in the morning with your servants, with the servants of your Lord, who came with you, and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. David is cast out. We see here the grace of God active in David's life, preserving him from his own worst choices. I can't, I can think, I, I think like this. I think there can be no hope for the, Christian, for the Christian if God does not preserve his saints. We're foolish. We're sheep, right? We're sheep. We're the sheep of his pasture and sheep make stupid choices, okay? They do. You're going to make dumb choices, but God is going to be faithful to make sure that your dumb choices do not define you. I can think of no greater peace-giving truth than that one right there. 1 Samuel 29, 11, last verse we're going to read. So David set out with his men early in the morning to, to return to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Put your questions below if you've got questions about the content or about politics or about anything going on in our world or about your own life. But I'm going to close up with this. David is cast out by the Philistines. Vomited up, you could say, just like Jonah was on that beach that day. Because God is going to make sure that his saints get the job done. Even when they are in the darkest of times, even when they feel that they have made a mess and there's no turning back and there's no getting out of it, God's faithful. And what we learn here, too, is the world is not our home. I wonder who here today is listening or watching. You're messing around with the world. You're doing like David here in this three-chapter three section of 1 Samuel. You're dancing with the Philistines, and you're also playing with the things of God. You're trying to walk on two different paths. The Lord's not going to let you do that. Do you know why? Because if you're in Christ, you're not of this world. You're just not of this world. I want to sum up by saying this. Christian, the world's not your home. Okay, The world's not your home. And if you are truly Christ, you can never be truly of the world. If you are truly Christ's, you can never be truly part of this world. Okay, God, secondly, preserves his saints even through their bad decisions. I've been saying this repeatedly through this teaching. And then thirdly, the dark nights of our lives are temporary. God always provides the dawn. So I wonder who's going through that dark season right now. And you needed to hear this. And, and, and maybe your dark season is because of your own stupid decisions. Or you've got a Saul in your life, somebody who keeps attacking you and fighting you and going after you. And you think, I'm never going to get free of this. Well, the dawn is coming. God's going to provide the dawn because he loves you. 
and he cares for you. I want to close out with the words of Jesus. John 15, 19. I think we're going to need this, Christians, starting right now. (laughs) If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You you can't mess around with the world's ways and the world's lifestyle and the world's decisions. You You can't be part of the spiritual Philistines. You can try, but if you're Christ, uh, he's not going to let you. He's not going to let you stay there, and you're not going to be comfortable there. I said this on Sunday to our church, Waters Church up in North Attleboro. I want to say it to you. Some of you have this thing, repetitive stupidity in your life. (laughs) You keep doing the same thing over again. You hate it. You don't like it, and you keep making a dumb decision. Just like Paul says in Romans 7, the very thing I hate, I keep on doing. Here's a question. Are you hating it more today than you did a year ago? That's part of the process of sanctification. You, you can't stay in that mess. And, and, and yet here, even David in this moment, he wants to stay in with the Philistines. As far as the text is concerned, he was ready to go to battle with them. But the Lord even took him out of that. The Lord takes you out. We're saved. This is the meaning of salvation. He's the one who saves us, even from us. And if that's not good news, I don't know what is. Because I don't don't always get it right. I don't always do what I should. But God is faithful. And he never gives up on us. I'm an hour in. Uh, if you've stayed with us and you've filled in the questions, I want to get to that in just a moment. I'm so glad that you're here. And I like this time together as we do live question and answers. Let's head there right now. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End. We pray it helps you grow in your faith and your walk with Christ. If you don't already have a home church, we invite you to come out to one of our campuses this weekend. Check us out at waterschurch.org to find a location near you and a service time that fits your schedule. Make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode of The Deep End with Tim Hatch.